Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 45. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionFanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. Fooliman, how are you doing? I am doing quite well. And once again, I'm doing well because I had the good grace and good fortune to miss the Leafs game last night. I've been on a bit of a roll lately in terms of I keep conveniently having social engagements whenever they have these really frustrating losses. Yeah. yeah, lucky me in that regard. How about you? How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. So, um, I had a. My, so my brother is visiting from California uh, this weekend, and he he brought what's called a one wheel. It's a motorized skateboard that has, as the name would suggest, one wheel. Oh yeah. Um, and I've been playing around with that this morning. It, it is the stupidest purchase one could possibly make, <laughs> because it, it's surprisingly expensive. It's like fifteen hundred dollars for a motorized skateboard. Wow. Uh, yeah, I know it's stupidly expensive but it is brilliantly made yeah this sounds like an ad read but it's not (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's actually it's so much fun i love it (laughs) there you go then it's worth the money you know yeah in its way it's 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 a it's a lot of fun one wheel if you're listening to us if you want to hit that uh hockey (laughs) hockey market we're open for business yeah i want to be clear arvin is doing this for free now but for enough money, we'll sell out to anything. Exactly. So exactly. Please send us a check. We could use the extra cash. Yeah. Anyway. Well, actually, but, sorry. This is this is off topic. Um, I don't know if you heard about this, but like there were some big YouTubers recently who essentially promoted what amounts to a a scam company. It's like one of those companies that like says like, oh, you can buy these loot boxes from us, and there's a percentage chance that it has like X, Y, Z, and like if you look at it for like more than ten minutes. It's very obvious it's a scam because like some of the things yeah. that they say, oh, you might get a chance of this. It's like they just don't have the rights to, and like oh. the listed odds are like very wrong, right? It's or it's like they'll say you have like a one in two sixty chance to get a Ferrari. Um, yeah, and it's like, well, no. You yeah, don't. and so you just do the math. Like, okay, that doesn't make sense. But like these guys were paying like big YouTubers who have young audiences uh, and very mm. impressionable audiences, like five six figures. Wow, for that's for not these good. deals, which tells you how much money they're making. Um, and also that we need to be more unethical if we want to monetize this podcast. <laughs> no, you know what? There are probably some nerdy children out there listening to this podcast, and we have a duty to that listener base not to deceive them. Do you think these kids, th- th- those kids get bullied in school? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let's be realistic here, yes. But uh, the point is, if you are a young person and you're listening, you can grow up and be a Raging success like Arvin and I. Yes. Um, so for whatever that's worth. But also we'd be doing a discourtesy because the whole premise of that scam sounds like it's based on lying about statistics. Yeah. It feels like we'd be betraying our essence. Yeah, like absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we should actually talk about hockey. Um, we're going to talk about the Bruins game. But first, um, before we recorded this, some news came out about uh, Trevor Moore. The Leafs have re-signed him, or I guess extended him, you could, you could say, for two more years. <laughs> pause for applause <laughs> yeah that, that was terrific I'm, I'm very proud yeah so it's a, yeah. a two-year contract extension the aav is 775k <coughs> so it's 700 in terms of the actual salary 750k next year 2019-2020 and then 800,000 in 2020-2021 that's an awkward year to say 2020-2021 yeah that is um that's, uh... but anyways it, there's not a lot of details about this i assume it's a one-way deal because otherwise more really wouldn't have an incentive to sign it it is, I believe. Oh, it's been confirmed it's a one-way, one-way deal? Uh, you know what? There's a small chance I confirmed it in my head, in my 
unlimited wisdom, so uh, I won't say that for 100% sure, but that seems likely as to what it is, and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so. You're never going to be Eklund with that attitude. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> i got to stop hedging these things. Yeah. But the, the reality is is that if it is, as we suspect, a one-way deal, it's exactly the kind of deal where the Leafs can flex their financial muscle a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. They give a, a guy some financial security. They just did this with Callie Rosen. And that means, you know, if he's demoted to the AHL, he's still earning a nice paycheck. On the other hand, in terms of cap consequences, it's great for the Leafs because this guy can be a meaningful contributor for, you know, 775k against the cap. That goes a very long way for a team that's going to have a lot of expensive contracts coming up. So, yeah, uh, all around good bit of business, it seems like to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it works both ways. I mean, more... Um like you said, he, it, assuming it's a one-way deal, he's definitely going for, for security here. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's hard to blame the guy for doing so. Uh, although it does seem... I guess you never really know when you're a depth player, but if you had to pencil in the Leafs roster next year, Moore would probably make it on the fourth line right now. You would have to think so, but honestly, and you know, this is a bit of a, a curious thing in terms of how it worked out with Josh Levo, but when you're in that position, when you're right on the fence... You have a chance to make um, what's going to be about a million six in the next two years, guaranteed. For a guy who's been, like, kind of sniffing around the fringes of the NHL, a guy who was undrafted, a guy who really had to grind his way up. Yeah. I, I mean, I think almost anyone in that position would would take the money. Andreas Janssen betting on himself the way that he did by picking up his qualifying offer was a pretty rare move, and even then that's with him quite reasonably expecting to be a top nine, top six forward for the Leafs the next season. For more, uh, I think that this makes a ton of sense. But I've liked his uh, his game and what little I've seen of it, and every account of him with uh, the Marlies is sterling. Great work ethic, uh, can produce at that level, a uh, lot of moxie, worked on his speed a lot to become a much more dangerous player. Just so much to recommend him. Yeah. Um, Moore has... Pretty nice numbers in the AHL. His, his NHL sample is obviously tiny, mm-hmm. um, but he's played well from what I can see in the NHL. He's got a couple points, which is which is nice and not easy to do when you're playing with Freddie Gauthier. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he's he's earned it. Good for him. I think as of right now, obviously our image of him is biased to some degree just by the fact that he, he came up and he scored or he got on the score sheet made some very obvious positive plays. But I, I think pretty much every Leafs fan would be comfortable with him on the fourth line. And maybe he has the potential to even move up beyond that. We'll see. But it, 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 this is the kind of a slam dunk move for the Leafs, right? It's mm-hmm. low risk. Uh, you get someone capable to fill your depth spot. And yeah, I mean, the Leafs are going to need that because they're going to be spending a lot of money next year. Yeah, I was talking to uh, Ian Tullock on his podcast earlier this week. He was kind enough to have me on as a guest. And during that podcast, uh, we were saying, look, if the Leafs can lock up Trevor Moore on some kind of one-way deal with a bit of term on it, they should do that right now. And, you know, two years isn't a ton of term, but that will definitely come in handy because next year they expect to be cap crunched. Yeah. Uh, just as an aside, I just saw this this morning, but uh, Jeff Fayette, who uh, writes about the Marlies on his own website, which is called The Faceoff Circle, he also has done some... Uh, some work trying to track events in Marley's games. And 
he has Trevor Moore as at or near the top of the team in basically everything, including such shot metrics as he can find. Um, so just, th- I think that's interesting in terms of he's clearly very valuable at the AHL level and poised to contribute at the NHL level. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah nice move. Yep. I mean, uh, I, not, not a lot to say about this besides it's a good move. It's a good deal. Um, happy for all parties. Moore is 23, by the way. He'll be 24 when this deal kicks in. Um, so he's yeah, not so super young by NHL standards anymore. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, he should be still productive and we should expect him to be at or above the level he's currently at uh, for a little bit. Yeah, so all in all, uh, very positive, well-liked guy. Not such a happy piece of news is that the Leafs lost to the Boston Bruins again. I feel like we've had this particular, I guess, um, <laughs> talk about the Bruins. I guess three times, because we lost to them three times at this point. We beat them once. Um, so, let's, yeah, let's have it again. Uh, there's, there's nothing like a Bruins loss to make Leafs Nation lose their mind. Yeah, they get to, like, the scared place deep in our hearts. Yeah. That for all the good things we have, it's going to go away. And it's totally understandable because the Bruins, by and large, have um, caused some pretty painful moments for Leafs fans. So I I don't really blame Leafs fans for getting perhaps a little irrational about this. Um, But a loss to the Bruins, and also, it also, uh, I guess, stings in a way that losses to other teams don't because of what the Bruins, quote-unquote, represent. Right, we're mm-hmm. like, oh, they're hard on the puck, they're physical, they're nasty. I mean, never mind that the reason the Bruins win is because of, in a large part, their first line who maybe play physical, but like Brad Marchand's not tall. David Pasternak probably weighs less than me. <laughs> right, like <laughs> they're, they're not exactly, um, you know, prime Milan Lucic a- anymore, but they're, they're just they're brilliant players, that, that top line. Charlie McAvoy's their best defenseman, he's what, 5'9 or something. Right, so. uh, yeah, he's not big, and I mean, obviously Zdeno Chara is still lumbering around out there, and he's a gigantic pe- person, yeah. but by and large, they're not the big bad Bruins of yore anymore. No, they're a good, skilled team that plays very positionally sound and is kind of suffocating uh, on, on the forecheck, and in that sense, they do play heavy, but I think the idea of like the Bruins as a team that like beats you up and takes your lunch money is a bit, a bit outdated. Yeah, you know, there's a thing that goes on in terms of, like, heavy hockey and things like that. That is a real thing. I don't discount it. No, it's 100% dis- a real thing. Yeah, and being effectively heavy, uh, the way that Mike Babcock talks about it, heavy on the puck, difficult to uh, to knock off it, winning battles in the corners, that sort of thing. That all matters. That's all meaningful. But a lot of the talk about the Boston thing, I'm going to go pop psychology a bit on this, so forgive me, but... The Bruins have kind of embarrassed us in a couple of really memorable playoff series, Um, especially the most recent one of those. I think people don't need to feel as bad about it as they do. And the first one, they were lucky to even be in a Game 7, much as it sucks how it ended, so eh, in perspective. But for a lot of people, sports is where they get out all sorts of emotions that they kind of don't express or recognize that they're not supposed to express in daily life like this is where you get to be kind of irrationally pissed off or uh, euphoric or any number of things that you don't you know normally go that deep on 
And so when the Bruins come in and they face off against teams that we're excited about and they beat them, there's a legit just feeling of like, I don't know, just like rage where it's just sort of like, we want to come back and hit them and like show them who's boss and really rough them up because we're trying to like establish what a tough and manly team we are. And I know that that sounds kind of hokey, but that's really what I think is going on in a lot of the discussion about the Bruins where you'll get guys like Brian Burke just saying like, well, the Leafs aren't tough enough. They aren't strong enough. It's like, well, we had teams that were built around we're going to beat you in the alley before we beat you in the ice. You know, we were playing Fraser McLaren and Colton Orr, guys like that. And those teams were garbage. You know, <laughs> I think it's unequivocally true that this team, as skill-oriented as it may be, is better than the heavy teams that Burke built. And you say, well, we still want to add heavy players. Burke, by the way, doesn't think that you can teach not heavy players to play heavy. So he basically thinks they have to airlift in somebody who's going to add some heaviness to the team. But I don't really think that that's the case. Like, I don't buy that the Bruins have some sort of kryptonite that they just can spring on us. And again, I didn't see the game last night, so this is the purest of number looking, but the Leafs look like they played pretty well. Yeah, and I'll, like, I'll talk about that a bit later, but this wasn't a game... There's been games where the Bruins have outclassed the Leafs, and this wasn't one of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reality is the Bruins have arguably the best line in hockey. We've said this before. That line is always going to give us fits, not because they're strong and tough and all this sort of stuff, just because they're all really fucking good. They're all brilliant you know, hockey players. You know, uh, that's the thing. And there's a great combination of skills between Marchand and Bergeron and Pasternak. They'll dominate you on shot metrics. They'll dominate you on goals. They're just, they're an outstanding group of players. And there's nothing much we can do about that except... It's still kind of an evolved form of what we were trying to do last year, which was, uh, the theory was, Nazem Kadri can play that line close to even, and then we run up the score on depth. Now we're trying to go kind of power versus power a little bit more, or at least we have been. So we'll play John Tavares, heads up against Bergeron, hope that we outscore them, and then again, try and win on depth because we have Matthews and Kadri as our other centers. I know it hasn't worked, um as well as we would have liked, although, again, the Leafs were 20 minutes away from winning last year. But I think that that's a pretty reasonable theory. I think that if they do win, that's what it's going to be. They're not going to pick someone up uh, that's going to fix everything for them, even if they do make the big move for Wayne Simmons, who is kind of a, a problematic acquisition in terms of where he's at in his career. Um, he's not going to suddenly transform this into a team that is as skilled as this one, but also heavy in some sort of Brian Burke style way that works, you know, the yeah. Leafs are a particular brand of team and they're going to have to win as they are. And I think they can do that. Yeah. I mean, one thing you touched on was like Babcock's idea of heavy is I think different than Brian Burke's idea of heavy. And I know I prefer Babcock's idea of heavy. Babcock's idea of heavy are players like John Tavares or Patrice Bergeron who win puck battles, who are, when you get the puck, they keep the puck, who make right plays, things like that. Um, and actually Bruce Cassidy, the Bruins coach, met, m had a quote where he was like, you know, he, he mentioned Mitch Marner as a guy who plays heavy. And he said like, you know, he, he weighs obviously a tiny amount, but try getting the puck off him. Right. And yeah. I think that's very emblematic of the type of team the Leafs can be. And that, that is heavy in a sense, right? Like that, it, it's functionally heavy. 
the word heavy is now losing all meaning because we're like it, heavy has a definition of like weighing a lot, mm -hmm. and we've somehow ascribed it to being some sort of style of play. But I think what it what it means is that you are hard to hard to push around, hard to beat, hard to take the puck off of, that you make the right plays in the neutral zone, that you put your body between the puck and the and the net, that the fundamental things that everyone talks about all the time. It's like a shorthand for that for yeah. like playing quote unquote the right way, as Babcock says. Yeah. By and large, I think the Leafs are all right at doing that at this point. Right? Yeah. Um, I, this has been remarked a couple times, but since Nylander has come back, so with the Leafs having their full roster or close to it, they're in the top five in the league in like Corsi percentage. They are pretty high in scoring chances and expected goals. And we're looking at like a 15 game sample. So it's not nothing at this point. It's not something you would bet your life savings on, but it's a positive sign. And in this particular game, I think the Leafs played well. And it was, as you mentioned, the exact kind of blueprint for what you do to try and beat the, uh, to try and beat the Bruins, right? Like the uh, Tavares line was a little bit underwater in terms of shot share, although in expected goals, according to Money Puck, they actually were, were positive. But then the Leafs' depth lines, Kadri, Nylander, Marlowe, and then Janssen, Matthews, Kapanen, destroyed the Bruins' depth in terms of generating quality chances, right? It wasn't terribly close. The puck didn't go in. The difference between the Leafs and the Bruins this year primarily has been the fact that they've gotten 900 goaltending, we've gotten 800 goaltending. And you're never going to win games when you have 800 goaltending. Right? Or very, very rarely. So maybe you could argue, okay, the Leafs are bad defensive, and that's what's creating these chances that are so high quality that the goalies can't do anything. I would disagree with that. If you look at the goals, the, the, the Corrali goal, that was a muffin of a shot. Hutchinson <laughs> probably should have had that. I mean, the reality is, and again, this feels under-discussed in, like, takeaways from this game where there's all this, you know, wailing and gnashing of teeth and all this sort of stuff. We're playing our third string goalie. Yeah. You know, and it clearly impacted the outcome. You know, uh, as as you would expect that it would. It's like, again, the Boston thing, like, they're scary. They're a tough team. They're a very we good We could team. play them and lose. Yeah. And you know what? It'll suck. And, uh, you, you know, for the longest time, I watched some pretty good Capitals teams play the, the Penguins over and over and lose and lose and lose and get stopped dead in the second round. And that kept happening right up until it didn't. You know? And that's what I think it is. I don't think that there's anything automatic about the Bruins being better than the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think they have one really terrifying line, and our ability to manage that we will live or die by, but I am comfortable uh, with this team going up against that team. Even, yeah. granted, we've lost the last couple. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm scared of the Bruins because they are a tough team to beat. And they're, they're just yeah. a good team. They've been, they haven't been healthy for most of this year. And now they finally mm -hmm. are. And I imagine they're going to stay where they are in the standings and potentially overtake us. I don't think that's terribly likely, but I think it's possible. Um, yeah. And at this point, I think there's a very, very high chance that we're going to face the Bruins in the first round. Um, Hockey Viz, uh, Micah McCurdy's website, has it at 52%. The Leafs will face the Bruins in the first round. Well. So more likely than not. <laughs> Yeah. And that's not fun. I'm not looking forward to facing the Bruins. They're a tough team. I don't think they're looking yeah. forward to playing us either. I don't think their fans are like, oh, the Leafs, that's an easy out. Yeah. I mean, they want to believe that it could be, but the reality is the Leafs are a terrifying matchup. Yeah, the Leafs are a good you know? team. I mean, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about this later, but it, it's frightening for other teams to see their third lines matched up and depth pairings matched up against Nylander and Kadri. 
Yeah, because those guys will carve them up like a turkey. And if they ever get the bounces, so help me God, um, <laughs> they could be a really, really devastating depth line. Um, even more so than we saw last year with JBR and Bozak, who were scoring quite a bit against opponents' depths. So, yeah, I mean, again, I, I feel like there's no real arguing against that emotional side of it where it's like right. it's frustrating to watch the Bruins take our lunch money mm-hmm. um, or, to, or to just beat us. And, you know, and that sucks. And there's nothing that's going to make that go away except winning. But I don't think that there's any player acquisition that is going to guarantee that. And I think constituted as we are, we're a pretty decent threat to beat the Bruins. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'd say don't worry, be, if not happy, at least believe in your team's chances against the Bruins, I think. The, yes, the Bruins are scary. They're not some mm. boogeyman that the Leafs are completely incapable of, of beating and are just hapless against. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, good teams can lose to other good teams. And I'm not really concerned about the Leafs being losing the season series this year against the Bruins. Mm-hmm. To my recollection, they won the season series last year. doesn't seem to matter that much in the playoffs, right? Like, you're, <laughs> it's, you're looking at trying to get inferences from, you know, really tiny, tiny samples. And with different lineups, different goaltenders, it, it's not terribly meaningful, in my opinion, especially since most, if, most of the games were close. I think one or two of them weren't. But um, generally speaking, it's not like the Bruins have absolutely pounded us every single time uh, we, we can compete with them and I think I think we can compete with anyone I think we've lost like four of our last six or something um, by and large I think the Leafs have played well during those games mm-hmm. I'm pretty encouraged with the way the team's playing I, I legit think this is a top five team in the league and I, I mean anyone who knows, who knows me knows I was pretty pessimistic about the Leafs for the first three or four months of the year the way they performed with their full lineup has been excellent in my opinion I'm really really happy with how that's going Tampa is a juggernaut. They are one of the best teams we've seen in the last 10 years. Maybe the best. They're going to be a challenge. Boston's going to be a challenge. At least are hard done by, for sure, by our division. But mm-hmm. I think we have a shot against anyone. And I think no team is looking at the Leafs and being like, okay, that's, that's easy. Light work. Yeah. I, I will say that if it isn't already clear, in the horror movie... Arvin and I are the people who, in like the first season, are like, we don't believe in monsters. And we get probably gutted to death 15 minutes in. But nevertheless, we are not scared of the Boston Bruins. Well, no, I mean, look, I, I am still scared of the Boston Bruins. I don't, yeah. don't want to face them. I, I still, yeah. like, I have the irrational fan thing where I'm like, I don't think we can beat them. But, like, yeah. I know intellectually, like, that doesn't matter, right? Like, I, I don't think the players believe that. I think it's almost self selecting. In order to get to the NHL, you need to have almost delusional levels of confidence. Yeah, you need to believe over and over and over again, I'm the best, I'm the best, I'm the best. And probably at the lower levels you generally were. Yeah. Um, notwithstanding exceptional guys like Trevor Moore, um, to take a recent example. But again, yeah, he probably has to believe in himself to an insane degree to overcome everything he yeah, has. Yeah, so, so like, I am still scared of the Bruins. I, I am praying to every god I know that, you know, they fall back somehow and that the Sabres take their spot. Not that the Sabres are a trivial team to face either, but I think they're way easier than the Bruins. Oh, yeah. So The Sabres are a one-line team also, except uh, I, I won't say Boston is quite a one-line team. They just have one clearly dominant line that's yeah. way better. 
Um, and Buffalo's top line is not as good, and then their depth is way worse. So they're yeah, exactly. zero out. So, yeah. I mean, it's very easy to say chill out after a loss. Um, when, you know, we know part of being a fan is not being chill, right? That's the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's at the end of the day, the Leafs are still a very good team. They're going to have a shot against whoever they face. I don't think there is a critical flaw in this group in terms of like a lack of heaviness or a lack of toughness or, or things like that. I think it's a convenient scapegoat. And it, it just boggles my mind how someone can look at that and then look at Tampa, who have the same sort of skill orientation. But like, I, I just don't get it. How can you look at Tampa and be like, yeah, no, a skilled team up, up can't succeed in the NHL. Tampa does play, they have some, some grit, some sandpaper, and they play tough at times. But mm-hmm. by and large, that's a team that, you, that terrifies you, not because they're going to beat you up, but because they are so fast and so talented and so good with the puck and so diligent, right? And I guess that sort of toughness is what people mean, like the diligence and the, I don't know, stick-to-itiveness and the ability to make those small plays that, that turn games. That's what people are referring to when they talk about heaviness. But I don't mm-hmm. think the Leafs are critically lacking in that department. No, neither do I. I mean, that said, the thing about Tampa is that their lead over the rest of the NHL is so huge, it probably feels undeniable, even if you are, like, a heavy hockey person. But, uh, yeah, you know, by and large, I think the the Leafs can win as currently constituted. The thing about this, and this is true of all, like, hockey narrativizing, is that if you want to, you can create a old-school hockey man-approved answer no matter what happens. So the Leafs lost last night. Well, it's because they weren't tough enough. They aren't gritty enough. They need to acquire uh, some guys who are going to go in there and fight. And if the Leafs go up against Boston and they lose, you say, see, I told you, they weren't tough enough. And if they acquired someone, they say, well, he was only one guy. If the Leafs go up against Boston and win, and they've added somebody, you say, well, see, there's the toughness they needed to get them over the hump. Um, And if the Leafs somehow don't acquire anyone and beat Boston, you just say, well, they dug deep. They learned to play heavy they, hockey. Yeah, they played tougher, which is what people said about Tampa when they pretty, you know, easily beat Boston in the playoffs last year in five games. Right? They shredded them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, th- this is the thing about all this narrativizing. There are people who will swear up and down that um, the Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup last year because now they had peak Tom Wilson and peak Brooks Orpik. Now, Tom Wilson actually does move the needle for them, but they had him before that, and Brooks Orpik is crap. Yeah. Like, he's a completely washed player at this point in his career. But there are people who will just say, well, they won, and there has to have been a reason, and the reason can't be just sometimes the bounces go against you. Uh, And so they, they look for that kind of toughness because they want hockey to kind of validate that feeling of like, oh, yeah, the toughest, the best the most enduring team wins. Right. And it's like... It's, I, I, <laughs> that's I think, not how it works, man. I think we both agree that, like, as, and I, I hope we're making it clear here, toughness matters. You know, being willing to stand up for yourself and be physical matters. It's a very physical sport. Physical punishment mm-hmm. is a thing in hockey. That stuff does matter. It, it, it absolutely makes a difference. But there's a difference. With, you have to, I guess, prioritize it to the same degree that you prioritize the other factors that that go into winning, right? Like, toughness for toughness's sake, I don't think is that important. Toughness in terms of players who can play in any situation and who 
can succeed in high intensity environments and that stuff matters, sure. But that that's like that's mm-hmm. a guy like John Tavares. That's a guy like yeah. Patrice Bergeron. Right? That's a guy like Sidney Crosby even. Like they're they're by any definition, by any reasonable definition, those are tough, heavy players. It doesn't mean they have to drop the gloves and fight people. It doesn't mean they have to, you know, display their manhood in a show of physical aggression. It means that they're hard to play against. And those guys are the hardest guys to play against in the league. And I yeah. think the Leafs are hard to play against in a different way than the 2015 or 2014 LA Kings were hard to play against, but in a way that's not necessarily any less meaningful. Yeah, I'd agree. That's something that actually that I've noticed about John Tavares is that he, you know, he seems to lead the league in tap-in goals. And some of that is Mitch Marner setting him up with great passing. Some of that is he knows exactly where to go. And some of that is he knows exactly where to go and he pays the price to get there. Like, you'll see play after play if you watch him in front of the net where he scores or he comes close to scoring. And the defenseman is basically interfering in the death or knocking him over with a cross check or something like that. Doing all those things that hockey currently lets defensemen get away with in front of their own net. And Tavares just pays the price and stays with the play. Like, he'll get the shot off even if he's being checked. And so he's willing to go there and basically stand in the, in the fire uh, to get a goal. That doesn't involve him hitting anybody. That doesn't involve him uh, taking a lot of penalties. It doesn't involve him doing any of those things. But it's real toughness, and that is valuable. Yeah. I don't think the Leafs are necessarily lacking in that. There, we, we have guys like John Tavares who can do that. So that kind of heaviness is the kind that I do prize, but then, you know, I don't think we're missing it, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if we're missing anything, it's good right-sided defensemen of, of any <laughs> level of tough. I mean, I think Ron Hainsey is as tough as they come. I don't think Nikita oh, yeah. Zaitsev or Igor Zaganov are wallflowers by any means. Um, I just think they're not amazing at hockey. <laughs> and I mean, that's the biggest upgrade the Leafs can make, right? Like, replacing one of those players with someone who is in particular, better with a puck and a better skater. Yeah. And so, really, that kind of comes back around to, you know, it's not that I don't value um, this sort of stuff. It's just that I'm not that scared of the monster under the bed in terms of, like, are we tough enough to do it? Yeah. Uh, The question is going to be, are we skilled enough? So Yeah. We'll see. Let's hope. (laughs) I would even change it from, are we skilled enough to, like, are we good enough? Right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's, whether you're a, a quote-unquote pure skill team or a pure tough team, whatever that means. Like, at the end of the day, it's hockey, right? Big teams have won it. Small teams have won it. Fast teams have won it. Slow teams have won it. You just got to be good enough, right? There are many ways to build a good hockey team. I think the Leafs have a very good hockey team, albeit one with some flaws. Mm -hmm. And I'm not convinced that... We're repeating ourselves here, but I I guess... I'm I'm not convinced they have a fatal flaw that will make it impossible for them to contend. Of course, the thing is, if they lose, you can always point to, oh, that's the reason they lost, as you said. Their narrativizing is always there, and it's it's there for every team because every team has a flaw. There's no perfect team, even Tampa. So Yeah. I'll I'll say this. The flaw that undermines, like, half the playoff teams I see is uh, their goaltending was kind of iffy at the wrong moment. (laughs) You know, like, I I don't... I don't want to, uh, to overstate that, but like a huge percentage of the time, it's just sort of like one goalie was off his game and that seems like that's what happened. Um, so yeah, that can kind of undermine anything, but 
while we're talking about this wonderful, good uh, team that we have assembled, uh, are we worried about Nylander and Kadri ever scoring again? <laughs> Intellectually, no. As a fan, yes. Yeah. Right? So it's like, you watch them play and you're like, okay, surely this can't continue much longer. They're, they're generating lots of chances, good chances from every angle, from all areas of the ice. They're, they're doing the right things and the puck's just not going in. Um, so it, it, it's frustrating. You th- and intellectually, you're like, okay, I know that this will likely not continue. But it also, I guess, forces you to consider, like, okay, is, am, am I misevaluating something? Are we, getting, are we doing something wrong here that is not being captured in the numbers? Are they earning their poor luck in any way? And mm-hmm. I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, it's possible Neander is, specifically, is a person who just gets worse results than you'd expect with his shooting. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously we need more time to ascertain that. Kadri is a guy who historically has very good shooting results, but we've seen him have entire years where it, it just doesn't go his way. I think the biggest fear is that just like there's no there's no guarantee of when this turns around. We, we can say with some confidence that like if we have an infinite sample, eventually we would expect them to revert to the mean, but we don't have an infinite sample. We have a certain amount of games that the Leafs have to play, and if they continue to not score for that entire length of time, which is possible and is just as likely, like it, that's, that could occur independently of what happened in the past, right? Like it's gambler's mm-hmm. fault to say that, oh, they're due. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it, it, the Leafs don't have an infinite amount of time here, so it would be nice if they started scoring sooner rather than later. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, could you hurry up and put the puck in the net, please? Yeah, I, I mean, the reality is, uh, I've seen Nazem Kadri go these long, long stretches before without scoring. And then I've seen him get on these tears where it feels like he can't help but score. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just kind of the natural variance that comes with a guy who, who takes a lot of shots and who is a good scorer and who is a two-time 30-goal scorer. Like, I just don't really concern myself that much with the idea that Nazem Kadri can't score, because I know that he can, and there's no real evidence that he stopped being able to do that other than he hasn't got the bounces. Yeah. Nylander, I worry a little bit, as you said, because I wonder uh, if there's just a reluctance to pull the trigger or if there's something that's going to lead to him undershooting his metrics. But by and large... If they keep upon putting up the results that they are uh, over and over, I think there's nothing to give me too much concern about the results eventually coming. Yeah. Like the, I mean, the, it's just too good. There's nothing we can do as, I mean, there's never anything we can do as fans, but like it's, it's just, mm-hmm. okay, they're, they're doing what they can. They're, I'm sure they're working very hard to figure out, okay, how can we increase our finishing ability or get more pucks actually in? Um, but if, if, if it happens, it'll happen, right? That's that's all. That's all you can say. There, there's this saying in finance that, um, with respect to like uh, looking at like mispricings of financial assets, that like the market can remain irrational longer than you can stay solvent. Mm. And that's the issue facing the lease, where it's like, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, if things if they stay dry, you know, throughout the playoffs, well, it doesn't matter if th- that if you gave them another 300 games, they would eventually get back to it. It's like you know, the realities of when the playoffs are and the meaning that holds uh, is going to take effect. And we've seen with guys like Brandon Saad, for example, uh, that who have had just 
a couple years of a trough in terms of shooting, and it's not necessarily anything that they've done, at least with Saad. And I've actually looked into him somewhat deeply because he's a player that interests me a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not that... There's not anything obviously explicable in the data that we can see that is the cause of his shooting percentage trough, but it's happened, right? And it's impacted... It's heavily impacted how people view him as a player, even though he's largely doing the same things. And uh, an area that he doesn't have necessarily as much control over is, is let, has let him down, particularly last year, it's a bit better this year, um, has gra- drastically impacted how the hockey world sees him. And the same is happening already to, to Nylander. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I see lots of comments on, on Reddit, on Twitter, whatever, wherever, uh, of like, oh, he's playing soft, he's playing on the perimeter, he's not doing this. And, and when I see that, I'm like, are, are we watching the same person? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I've been so impressed by Nylander's play in everything except his ability to put the puck in the net. I think he's playing very, very well, generally speaking. Like, he's doing most of it well, most of it at a higher level than he's done previously, right? He's moving That's the puck, the throwing it harder on the forecheck. Like, yeah. It, I, when I watch him, I'm not, like, upset at how he's played at all. It's just, like, I, I want those pucks to go in, and they're not, right? Yeah, and to be fair, that's what he's paid for yes. to a large extent. And, you know, if he's not um, a high-scoring player, then he's not worth his money. But all of that said, like, I I see the same thing you are in that respect, where I'm like, the effort is there to me. Um, the, the work is there to me. There's there's some back-checking. There's, there's some defensive conscience. There's the high-end transition play. It's just there's so many things there where I look and I see them and I'm thinking, this can't stay bad for this long. You know, like, I I do think that it's eventually going to come for him. I've watched a lot of players, um, God help me with the Leafs, where I was like, there's nothing going on here. I mean, this is the extreme example, but like the David Clarkson contract, he wasn't scoring right from the get-go. But every time I watched him, I was like, I don't think this guy's a good hockey player at all. And that was when I was still a bit naive in terms of statistics and all that sort of stuff. But... His, his whole game looked like it was just off to me, like he was struggling to keep up, like he was struggling to stay upright. Uh, Nylander, it's all there except the goals, you know? I, I feel like, as you said, you know, I, I can keep insisting that the market is irrational and it's going to correct itself, and if it doesn't within a certain length of time, it's going to look worse and worse. But all of that said, I really just can't bring myself to think anything about Nylander and Kadri other than the correction is coming and it's going to be fun, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. Uh, so One thing I want to mention, both of them, they've been facing easier competition as, you know, you mentioned before that the Leafs are kind of going power versus power and letting their depth win out, which is, in my opinion, that's what I would do if I was a coach. Not that Mike Babchuk should take that into consideration, but um, that's kind of how I think it makes a lot of sense to, 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 to do things when you have the roster that the Leafs do. So the United Kadri have been facing weaker competition. But even mm-hmm. when you uh, look at measures like RAPM, which adjusts for teammates and usage and zone and all, all that sort of thing, um, the two, Kadri and Nylander in particular, rank among the highest on the Leafs and well above average league-wide in terms of driving play, both in terms of shots and expected goals. Right? Mm-hmm. Marlowe, who is their most common lineman, is like one of the worst in the league, by the way. Um, <laughs> Hmm. That, that's largely because of his time with Matthews has been really bad. Um, yeah, the, the two of, of them just don't work together for whatever reason. Yeah. And I don't know if it's it's a, 
a disconnect in terms of play style or what it is. But he just, like, I don't think you should ever go back to Marlowe with Matthews. I feel like that door should be closed. Yeah, well, especially since, and we'll probably discuss this later, but uh, Janssen, Matthews, Kapanen has, in a small sample, done reasonably well as a line. Um, yeah. But yeah, like Nienander and Kadri are pushing play the right way. They're dominating easy competition, which is what they should do, but they're doing it at to an extreme degree, right? Like you and I said this a lot last year mm-hmm. that like even though Bozak and JVR are facing easy competition, they're also beating them up really badly, right? Yeah. Ma- Matthew, or sorry, not Matthews, Kadri and Nylander are doing it to an even more extreme degree than they did. Yeah. Right? And the, the only reason that well, you know, we're not talking the other way is because JVR was scoring and these guys aren't. Yeah. And, you know, that matters. It's a goals game. And I, I keep, ch- I'm always torn on this issue because I don't want to keep saying, look, it's fine that they don't score because I'm confident that they're going to. You know what I mean? Because it's not fine if they don't score for a certain period of time. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, um, ultimately the but, game is about goals, right? Um, yeah. And as you said, both these guys are paid for their ability to produce goals. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to become the Carolina Hurricanes. Although, mm-hmm. while we're on the topic, all of a sudden they've, start, they've suddenly started to uh, to make a bit of a late surge. But uh, yeah, by and large, I my attitude uh, with Nylander and Kadri is it's going to come. If they keep playing the way that they're playing, it's going to be okay. And I'm maybe just too much of a nerd not to be happy when... My, li- my third line is destroying his competition in shots. Like, I just, I think that that's a good way to win hockey games. So, yeah. Uh, I, I guess that's a long way of, for the second consecutive topic, now I'm saying it's probably fine. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, uh, I mean, what, what, can, what else can you say? It's, the Nylander, Kadri, Marlowe have, like, a 63% Corsi and 63% expected goals. It's, yeah. they're destroying the depth players uh, on, on other teams. The results haven't been there. I don't think I don't. I just don't think there's some fatal flaw that's making their stats look good and their goals not look good. So I mean, yeah. I, I guess we'll see, right? Um, all you can do is is wait and hope that the underlying play persists while the their ability to turn shots into goals turns around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I think by and large, I just. Feel good. Hakuna Matata, basically, <laughs> about a lot of these things. Yeah, but, I, mean, uh, I, I think we've gotten more positive about the Leafs throughout the year. And, again, I'm, I'm emphasizing this, um, but the Leafs really have played strongly at even strength since Nylander has come back. Right? Like, having yeah. their full lineup, they have played really, really solid hockey for the most part. Yeah, and... You know, as there are people who would say, gee, you, would you rather win the Corsi battle, battle and win the game less often? And the answer is no, of course not. But I think that there are the seeds of something much more sustainable yeah. I, in what they're doing now. I don't think it's a choice. It's not like <laughs> yeah. it's not like winning the Corsi battle means you're going to lose the game more often. I'd rather win the Corsi battle and win every game. But yeah, uh, the, the biggest thing for me is how do I think we're going to do in the playoffs? And as you said, as you were alluding to before, I very rudely interrupted you. This has the seeds of a more sustainable team. Yeah, I I would say uh, since December 6th, there we go, the Leafs are fourth in the NHL in score and venue adjusted shot results. Mm -hmm. Um, That's pretty great. And when Uh, you consider they have strong shooters like Tavares and Matthews, 
when you consider mm -hmm. that they have an elite goaltender in Frederick Anderson. They have a very strong power play, and their power play is probably going to get, I would hope, better in the postseason when Babcock leans more on the top unit. Yeah, although you'll probably get less use out of it because there might be uh, a little bit... There may be fewer opportunities, I'm yeah, going to say. Has that actually been like formally um, tested, like whether there are less? And you, you know what? It's such a saw of old hockey wisdom that I've taken to believe it. And yet, I'm. <laughs> you know what? I don't know that it's been rigorously proven. Yeah. So That's why we should do our research before the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, all of that said, like the results have been really encouraging the last six weeks and there's been some disquiet i think in leafland but big picture this is things are going pretty well yeah i, I will say the, the thing about uh austin matthews is uh what do we expect from him i think because he's something that i've been thinking about a bit lately right and i, I listened to the podcast with with you and ian and you guys kind of mm -hmm. both touched on this um that Matthews has been hard to assess, and this is something we've mentioned too, and I'm sure many people have mentioned it's not cutting-edge analysis, but his individual numbers are so spectacular, right? Like, his, <laughs> his, he's on pace for, uh, if, on a full 82-game season, like 55, 56 goals, which is absurd, obviously. Um, yeah. And his on-ice numbers are just so much more mediocre. Yeah, and, you know... It it's hard to believe when you watch him when he's on, um, he looks like the best player in the world or close to it. Like he looks like someone who can be in the conversation with McDavid and at least not get laughed out of the room. He's so good at his best. And yet there are stretches where he can look a little disengaged or he can look a little ineffective or you just don't feel his presence on the ice yeah. in the same way that you'd like to. And there's a bit of that with every player. And it's a function of how high our expectations are for Austin Matthews that we really notice it with him. But by the standard of this guy is a top five player in the world, there are times I want a little bit more in terms of a well-rounded game. That's a real luxury problem given the caliber of his shooting. But all the same... I just don't feel like he's a complete player yet, and I'm still waiting on that to come around. Right, and I think it, it, it was funny. When he was coming out of the draft, people talked about his defensive responsibility and like basically said, like, oh, people were saying, oh, you know, for a superstar prospect at 18 years old, he is much better than you would expect defensively. And I think what people were seeing and, you know, uh, obviously scouting is very hard. I'm not going to pretend to be a scout here. But I think what people were seeing was that he is genuinely a takeaway artist. He is so good mm -hmm. um, at robbing people of the puck. And that is certainly an important aspect of defense. But I, I, when I watch him, I don't think he's a particularly good defensive player. And we've had discussions on this before. His defensive results have never really been good. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, defense is not simply your ability to rob people of the puck. There's a lot more that goes into it. Matthews has never been excellent at that, and it it's shown, I guess. Like, we're seeing it more this year, especially as his competition is, is ramped up a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. He's simply not dominating the shot clock the way we would like and the way we expect elite players to do, right? The way we expect, or the way we see Sean Couturier or Patrice Bergeron or Anse Kopitar in his prime just kind of live in the offensive zone. 
Matthews is better than all of those players once he gets to the offensive zone. But yeah, he it's been hard finding a combination this year that has fully clicked for him. Now, the obvious thing to point out is that he hasn't had his usual running mate, right? I think he and mm-hmm. Nylander combined brilliantly because Nylander is straight up elite, like one of the best in the world at moving the puck. He's an mm-hmm. elite puck mover. Uh, his zone entries and passing are very, very close to the top of the league. And once you get into the offensive zone, Matthews is golden. He's so brilliant in the offensive zone. He's another guy, like, try getting the puck off him in the offensive zone. It's impossible. He's so, yeah. so strong on his, on his skates and so strong on the puck. Now, Kapanen and Janssen are both, I think, good players. And, in fact, that line has been pretty solid, I think, because both Kapanen and Janssen are decent enough at moving the puck that they can get there. Um, but he's also spent a lot of time with guys like Tyler Ennis, with Patrick Mardo, and that, those lines have just not worked as well. And it, it feels like maybe Matthews does need that sort of um, high-end distributor and puck transporter to play alongside him, to play off of. Maybe that's the reason. I think another part of it is just also that, like, recently, from what I've seen, he's playing kind of about the same. The pucks haven't gone in to the same mm-hmm. degree, right? Like, he, he had this play yesterday in the game where uh, he, I think someone else created a turnover. He was the first of the puck in the offensive zone and fired, like, a pretty mean wrister uh, on Rask, mm-hmm. and Rask saved it. But if that goes in, we're talking about, oh, Matthews, that's vintage Matthews right there. Like, you can't defend that shot, right? And yeah, again, he, I'm not going to say that that is entirely out of his control. It, it, he obviously mm-hmm. exerts some control over his own shooting percentage. Um, but we know it's something that can, that can vary a little bit, and I'm not really that concerned. His shot rate this mm-hmm. year, his individual shot rate, is the same as it is last year. Like, individually, almost everything he's doing is, is just as good as last year. It's just the on-ice stats are not as good. And I, I, I'm, my instinct is that, like, it's, it's a complementary player skill where he, he needs or he's much better advantage by having puck movers with him than any other type of player. Yeah. And so it, you know, maybe that's the answer is just eventually to give him William Nylander for an extended stretch. And if so, you know, we're in a position where we can do that. It's, the conversation with Austin Matthews is just that he's so otherworldly um, at certain things that we really want him to be great in every respect. Right. You know, he seems like he has all these tools. He has all this talent. And it's possible he'll be merely one of the best goal scorers in the NHL or the best. You know, he's close to that conversation pretty well. Um you know, and in which case it's like, well, gee, it seems like kind of nitpicking to complain about a guy who may well win the Rocket Richard if he can stay healthy. Um, it's just, I, I guess maybe I, my expectations are a little too high in terms of I want him to be dominant. I want him to be kind of a, a, the kind of player who looks franchise in every respect. Right. He's just merely excellent and outstanding at some some things. So, th- th- again, this is like, it really does feel like nitpicking, but it's just, he's sometimes discussed as if the complete game is there in a way that I don't necessarily see, and it kind of tends to correlate with how much he's scoring lately. Like, when, he, when the goals are there, it's, it's just sort of assumed in some quarters that the whole thing is there. And the reality is the goals are there individually more than anyone else, and that's great. And that, that's, you know, the most important thing. That's the bottom line. It's just, I, 
I, I wonder if I'm going to keep waiting on a defensive leap forward. That probably isn't going to happen. And I just need to start being like, okay, he is what he is and what he is is still incredibly brilliant. Right. You, you start getting to the Morgan Riley stuff where it's like, okay, he's not going to fix the major flaw that he has, but mm-hmm. we can appreciate him for all the things that he does well, which are numerous. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I mean, I guess... Uh, the general thing there is, and again, it sounds ridiculous to even be critical of him when he's so good at the most important thing. Uh, just uh, maybe still hoping for a little bit there. I also think, you know, if William Nylander gets going again, I'd rather just see him with Matthews. I'm ready to see him with Matthews now, to be together. honest. Yeah, I, I mean, as we said, the thing that we're waiting on for Nylander is just bounces. Yeah. And so one way to get bounces may be putting him back with a guy who scores a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I think in, he would get in a small points. sample, yeah. I've liked what I've seen from Janssen, Matthews, Nylander. I think their numbers are like mm-hmm. not amazing, but they've only played like 30 minutes, so I'm relying more on the eye test there. Mm. Um, they, they, anecdotally, when I watch them, they, it's a line that makes sense. They've created chances. Um, I think they struggled a little bit initially just to get a read on each other in the offensive zone, but mm-hmm. I, I think they're smart players and they've managed to sort that out more recently. So I, I would like to see that. Um, Janssen, I mean, I think has been excellent. He had a, he had a goal yesterday, which was, which was nice. Um, he's played well to start this year. And we alluded earlier to his decision to bet on himself. It appears to have paid off to, to some degree. I still don't yeah. know if he's going to get a huge deal. I don't think he'll be... I think the Leafs will be able to retain him. Yeah. Um, although, he, you know, he could be a, the type of guy who gets offer sheeted by another team. Like, that's the type of offer sheet that would probably make the Leafs hesitate more. Paying like a million too much for Janssen is like kind of not possible when you're paying full value for everyone else. Yeah, I will say we've consistently said no offer sheets aren't a real risk, and that's mostly been the precedent. If you were looking to offer sheet somebody, Janssen or Kapanen is a much more viable target. Like if this ever comes back in and teams actually start saying, "Okay, knives out," I want to acquire some RFA players. I can see the argument for uh, Kapanen or Janssen more easily as something that might possibly happen. Um, but, you know, there are all sorts of factors that go along with that, and we haven't been seeing it. Um, so, so, yeah, I do hope that they're able to retain him. I think he's our best left wing. Yeah, which uh, is a, a bit of damning with fame praise because it's not a strong left wing group. I, I will say, I, <laughs> I still think he would be our best left wing if we acquired Wayne Simmons. I wrote a piece on this. Um, mm-hmm. I, I evidently timed it wrong because people are talking about the idea of acquiring Wayne Simmons much more now than they did when I, was, when I actually wrote it. Um, but Wayne Simmons is not the Wayne Simmons you remember him as. He mm-hmm. is very, very obviously declining. Yeah. Right? He, he plays, I think, pretty much third-line minutes on the Flyers at this point. I can double-check that quickly. Um, but like, he's no longer that elite uh, player that he was maybe three years ago. His shot rate has plummeted. and it, It's like very consistent with the unnatural aging curve that we see from a player of, of his style and a player at... The point of the career that he's at he's 29 right now we wouldn't expect him to be as good as he was three years ago mm. right so yeah like he's he's playing low-end second line minutes right now um he's, he's just not what the leafs need his um possession impacts are notably worse I, I looked at his impact in particular with uh the flyer stars like couturier Giroux, voracek made all of them worse uh in terms of shots scoring chances and goals so, like, it's just, he was a brilliant player, 26-year-old Wayne Simmons, 
would be the best left mm-hmm. wing on this team. 30-year-old, 29-year-old Wayne Simmons is not. Yeah. I, people like the idea of Wayne oh, Simmons yeah, very yeah. much. It, he, and I do, He absolutely too, holds like, some, kind of, some cachet. Is like, this, this is, like, Wayne Simmons at his peak was the example of a good player who was also very tough and would add a lot to your team in both dimensions. Right? Yeah, like, well, he's and, skilled enough to play anywhere in your lineup and have him out against anyone and also adds all that like ancillary toughness and uh, I feel good about myself now type of things. Yeah, pretty well. And, you know, and it's hard not to like him. And also, you know, he's, he's from, yeah, from, the uh, area. from Toronto. Yeah, which goes a long way. I mean, half but... the NHL is at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you expand to the GTA. But uh, the, the thing is about deals for guys like that, I do wonder about the next Wayne Simmons contract. I absolutely do not want to be the kind the team that signs Oh, him. yeah. Just Abs- because. Absolutely. I, I, I'll say that, you know, the Milan uh, Lucic deal is infamous now and he was the same thing he was the tough guy who could still play um who could produce who was sort of a great all-around player and honestly i expected that deal was going to be bad and it was much worse much earlier than i thought it was going to be i my thinking was okay uh by year four maybe it's going to be a real albatross right and he's going to fall off at that age by year two he was bordering on unplayable in your top nine. Mm-hmm. Like, that was awful. And so, you know, looking at Wayne Simmons, one, I, I think y- your point is well taken, that the results are not what people think they are anymore. But two, if you're the Leafs and you're getting him, it would only be as a rental. Um, that would be like a... Like, like there's a big flashing warning sign over the next Wayne Simmons contract. Um, so acquiring for him as a rental is one thing, and it's kind of kind of dubious, but... Acquiring him and extending him would be like a nightmare move. And so, given what Kyle Dubas has said about pure rentals, uh, I don't think that we're going to be kind of shopping in that market anyway. Yeah. So, I, this is kind of a long way of saying as much as it might appeal on some level to, uh, to people to get him, I don't think it's, it's going to happen. Yeah, I would agree with that. So. Um, I, we, we talked about trades last time. We talked about, I guess, like Nick Jensen. He's, he's a rental defenseman. Recently, Kevin, mm-hmm. uh, P- Kevin Fapetti, also PVP, has been talking about uh, Justin Falk as an option. Um, mm. And Falk's a good defenseman. Um, I think he's sort of, at least for me, he's just sort of uninspiring because I spent so much time thinking. I'm just fatigued of Justin Falk because I've been thinking about him for like three <laughs> years. Right? He's been a guy who's been yeah. in the least forever. Um, so like, it, it, I think perhaps I unfairly dock him in my mind, but he, he's a good player, would easily be the least best right defenseman. Uh, on a pretty manageable contract for next year, although it would almost certainly necessitate moving on from Jake Gardner. Essentially, it'd be kind of like yeah. swapping Jake for uh, for Falk to, to some extent. Like, it doesn't quite work out, but that, that's the idea. Swip, swapping a left-side defenseman for a just about as good right-side defenseman. Yeah. Um, it, it's an option. We'll probably have a podcast closer to February. To, that's just straight up about trade deadlines and players, and we might even have Kevin on for that. Um one other thing we wanted to discuss, the, we always like to talk a bit about like the, the headlines piece, the second intermission of the Leafs game, because they generally give us something to talk about. And mm-hmm. this week they talked about Mitch Marner's uh, agents asked when he was negotiating this past summer for a deal. And apparently Marner's agent came in at around $9 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, And I guess what our thoughts on that are... I, I'm kind of like, okay, cool. Like, I mean, apparently Nylander yeah. came in at $8.5 million. Um, 
So Marner coming in at nine doesn't really seem absurd to me. It's not a contract I would have liked to sign last year, knowing what I knew last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the ask is always going to be probably higher than I would like it to be as a fan of the team. Um, but I think that's fine. I'm not really going to demonize Mitch or his agent for doing so. That That's what exactly what they should do. Yeah, the thing is, is last summer we were talking about this, and I actually remember a conversation where we said, if you're Mitch Marner's agent, you don't have a lot of incentive to negotiate now unless the Leafs come to you with an offer that starts with a nine. Right. Like, that was literally the quote. And it's like, you know, given the season that he was primed to have where he was uh, he was in a position to take a, a leap, as we've said before. I don't think we anticipated the leap that he has taken. No, and, and, and I, I don't think like, this leap represents his quote-unquote, like, true ability as a player. And I, I guess I need to word that better. He's absolutely a superstar in the league. I think his point totals are a little inflated right now by a very high on-eye shooting percentage. I yeah, expect Marner to I, be around the top 10, top 20 in scoring for most of his prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he is like a McDavid, Kucherov-level player where you can pencil him into the top five before the start of the year. Yeah, um... He's, you know, he's been excellent, but he is playing with John Tavares. Yes, that, that has to be uh, mentioned. He is, he's playing with, who, John Tavares has been, in my opinion, the Leafs' best player. Like, I, I would rank Tavares yeah. one, Marner two, with very little distance between them, to be clear. Mm. But Tavares has been amazing. Absolutely yeah, amazing. He, and so, so has Marner, but he's been in a situation to succeed, and he has, right? So he d- absolutely deserves credit for that, but the context mm. in which he's doing it also matters. Yeah, I mean, now to be clear, I think uh, in terms of $9 million, like the conversation with Marner's agent is now like, like we would be happy to get him at $9 million now, I think. Um, it's it's kind of getting up into that range. It, it's hard to predict uh, these contracts just because we're breaking some new ground here. Right. Uh, and uh, Kucherov, who we mentioned, who is on a completely insane uh, points tear. Is, um, he has 75 points. Yeah, I actually uh, had a, uh, a little factoid that I found the other day, and this was true as of when I tweeted it uh, a couple mornings ago. It may not still be true, but he's on pace to have a higher point total for this season than Crosby, Ovechkin, Thornton, or McDavid have all ever had in their careers up to this point. Like, he was on pace for just some bananas number. It was like 135 points or something yeah. like that. He's still only and 25, eh? Yeah, that's the thing is we heard so much about him for so long, but like he he's gonna be he's gonna be good for a while. He's on a Hall of Fame track just, at this point. Yeah, I think that that's fair to say. And he weirdly gets under discussed in, in these uh, talks about you know who are the very very best players. Like he doesn't seem to ever get serious heart trophy consideration. He didn't last year, and he probably won't again, just because the assumption is that his team is too good. Like, he can't be that valuable if he has too many but guys. But he's the reason with. they're so good. <laughs> but, like, yeah. He's, like, reason like, number he's... one that the Lightning are good, Nikita Kucherov. He's the best player on the best team. Um, so he's kind of destroying everybody. Anyway, but bringing it back around to Marner, Kucherov is making $9.5 million per On a UFA deal. And on a UFA deal. Um, and so the Leafs might reasonably say, well, Marner's not as good as Kucherov. Come on now. But as we were saying with the Nylander thing, one comparable, and there are differences there, does not dispose of the situation. It's, it's not like, you know, Marner's agent is going to be like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, right. you, you know, um, 
I, I don't know now. I'm not as confident predicting where Marner's deal will end up. And I will say that with the Nylander thing, I actually had a, a feeling as to where it was going to go. And then that went on so long, I started really doubting myself. With Marner, I'm no longer sure. Right. Like, just we don't know where, where that's going to end up. We don't know where his point totals are going to be. They're going to be high, is all I can say. But I think... For the longest time, we treated it as, like, pretty clear that Matthews was, like, in another sphere above Marner. I still believe that to be pretty true. I still think Matthews is the better player. Mm -hmm. But that gap is smaller than I was ever willing to credit up till now. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like you, I think Uh, Matthews is better, and part of that is just... I inherently believe that just because of the nature of how hockey's played, goals are more valuable than assists. Yeah. Right? Um, um, and Matthews is, in my opinion, the best goal scorer in the world. Yeah. So, and so, so that kind of trumps everything. And that's ultimately why, you know, notwithstanding all that stuff I said about Matthews, he's a brilliant, brilliant player. Like, he's a, a franchise player. And Marner is really, 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 really good. But... Yeah, it, it is interesting how this is shaken out. And part out. of this could be just, we're anchored to the idea of Matthews in a tier above, so it takes a lot to to move us in the other direction. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it'll be it'll be interesting to see. It depends on what happens. It'll depend on what happens this year, but... I mean, the lucky thing is we don't have to choose between them. We have both. Um, regarding yeah, Bonner's deal... It, yeah, like the... Mm-hmm. The comparison to Kucherov is one thing that you, should, that you would think helps the Leafs, but at the same time... Um, Marner's agent could say Kucherov is expected to decline over the life of that deal, right? He signed it in the, in the midst of his prime, whereas Marner is like three years pre-prime or two years pre-prime, like based on what we know of standard aging curves, mm-hmm. right? So they can make that argument. Marner's going to cost a lot of money. Um, I'm not as concerned with that deal. I think, I think the fact that there are so many other high-end RFAs at the same time is going to help. Although, I guess it depends. It just takes one person to cheer Elliot and it sets a new market. <laughs> but, like, as good as Marner is, are you comfortable saying he is much better or better at all than Braden Point or Mikko Rantanen or Patrick Laine? That's the thing. Is Are they all getting $10 million well, as well? Like, like Mikko Rantanen yeah. is second or third in the league in points. Every argument you can make yeah. for Mitch Marner, you can make for Miko Rantanen. Yeah, and I, you know what? I think that it's very easy if you live in the Toronto media bubble to not know that or to not really think about that. And that, like, that, I don't blame anyone for that, but it's like, as good as Marner is, as outstanding as he clearly is, he's not the only guy putting up an incredible performance. Like, look at what Point and Rantanen uh, are doing. And you have a pretty clear, like, I think, at least with point, I think he's probably a more valuable player than Marner slightly right now. Right. Uh, and, and that's entirely my statement on how valuable I think Braden Point is. Yeah. It's not a shot at Marner um, at all. It's just, like, Braden Point is, <laughs> say, selkie caliber defense while also producing similar offense. Yeah, which is, like, bonkers. I, I mean, it, it, you look at uh, at Tampa's totals right now and you think well somebody there has to be doing something really well and several guys are and one of them is Braden Point, Point. actually has more points but, than Marner right now 
Has he pulled ahead of him? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, Sorry. No, I, I, I misread. Oh, no, yeah. 61 points to 58. Uh, he also has 29 goals. Again, I, I think goals are more valuable than assists. Yeah. And as much as, you know, I think Marner is sensibly deferring to John Tavares, right. who also has 29 goals. But, yeah. Uh, so there's a lot going on there in terms of the market. In, in terms of, like, it's very hard to predict. And there's always change going on in terms of, more and more recognition that the second contract is really where most of a player's value comes. Um, so yeah, I guess we're gonna we're gonna see. But if I'm if I'm Marner's agent, I am happy probably that the Leafs did not take me up on uh, on that nine million deal um, because I do suspect Marner is gonna out earn it now. So yeah, yeah. I I would I would agree with that. Um, I guess it's. We'll have to see. Um, it, as you said, it's so hard to predict this at this point. I, 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 it's also like a game of chicken yeah. between like which team is going to go first with their star guy. Yeah. Right? I, I do think that um, if I'm the Leafs, I would really, really like to lock up one of Matthews and Marner um, sooner rather than later. It's probably not going to be Marner um, just because they've said repeatedly they're not negotiating in season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you can get a satisfactory extension with Matthews done now and save yourself kind of the hassle of having both of these things outstanding, I think you would like to do that. But at the same time, you know, deadlines make deals to some extent. We saw that in the extreme form with Nylander, but uh, each side is probably going to try and wait the other one out a bit. So it, it may be a while before we get certainty on this one. Yep. Uh, we're looking so. forward to December 1st, 2019. Oh, yeah. Mark your calendars. We can have a whole conversation. Yeah. And Marner can come back and get, like, four points in the month of December, and everyone will be like, uh, is he ready? <laughs> you know? So that'll be fun. Yeah. But, yeah, having having more stars, though, is better than having fewer stars. Yeah, absolutely and a good problem Right now, yeah, by and large, there's a lot to feel good about. If so. we need to get rid of Zach Hyman and Connor Brown instead of just Connor Brown in order to facilitate having Mitch Marner, that's fine then I will not be okay with that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, look, I think I, I think we can make this work, as we've said before. So, yeah, by and large, Marner being unbelievable is a good thing. It's just he's really, he's really challenged our expectations as to what he could do and as to where he kind of sits in the relative packing order on this team. I still think he's the, the number two of the big three, but... What a hell of a season he's had. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, while we're here, before we're about to finish up, but can we discuss the... Um, there was this awful take, and I actually forget from who, but like <laughs> apparently someone was going to sign Matthews to like a four-year or five-year $16 million offer sheet. Gord Miller. Gord Miller. Okay. Yeah, so Gord Miller says yeah. something to the effect on Neath's Nudge. And <laughs> look, I, rec- I fully recognize that um, Radio is hard. Like, I find podcasting hard, and here I can edit out the stupid things I say. <laughs> uh, but I keep all the stupid things Fulham says in there. Just Yeah, I know. It's horrible. You keep doing that. But, uh... <laughs> but like, live radio is tough, so it's possible he just didn't think this out. But he said something to the effect of, if a team really wants to put the screws to Toronto, they could sign Austin Matthews to a five-year, like, $60 million offer sheet mm-hmm. um, and, like, really test their resolve on whether they want to match. This is dumb for... A few reasons, and okay, so here are the main ones. <laughs> Number one, why is Matthews accepting that? 
Why, does he want to leave Toronto imminently? We've heard nothing to that effect. Why is he taking a yeah. contract that would almost certainly be like $16 million guaranteed less than what the Leafs would? Yes, he's potentially maximizing his career overall earnings if he doesn't uh, have any downside in performance or anything like that, but he, he's getting less guaranteed money at the time. So like, mm-hmm. it's never sufficiently argued why Matthews would actually sign that. Um, number two... At 16 million, I think the Leafs are like, okay, yeah, sure, take Austin Matthews. You have, congratulations, you have Austin Matthews for five years or four years, um, and then he's a UFA. That works both ways, right? Like the idea mm-hmm. is like you make the Leafs sign a really unmanageable contract where they're paying Matthews a ridiculous amount, then he's a UFA again as soon as possible, and you have to pay him again. Um, mm-hmm. But the same thing happens to the team that would, <laughs> like, if the Leafs fail to match, the same thing would happen to that team. Good job. You have Austin Matthews yeah. for four or five years, and then he's a UFA. Why are you sewering your team like that? And, and you also have to yeah. get four first-round picks and on a team that you can no longer afford to put anyone else around because you're paying Austin Matthews $16 million. <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, and second, th- or thirdly, what team has the cap space and the ability to attract Matthews and the cash? Arizona has... Arizona, I'm so sick of Arizona <laughs> offering Austin Matthews. They can't even play their own fucking players. Like, my God, like that's, that's an exaggeration. But this is a team that has the, the real financial reality of they are not cash rich. Cash flow is a thing for them. They cannot hand out money the way Le- the Leafs can. They would probably have to think twice about signing the deal that Trevor Moore just took. Saying, can yeah. we afford to pay uh, potentially 1.6 mil to a guy who will who may not be on our roster, depending on how things shake out. Mm-hmm. Right? They have to think about that. They, pr- they can probably do it, but it's not a no-brainer like it is for the Leafs. Why are they always taking Austin Matthews? Just because he's from there? With yes. what friggin' money? Entirely just because he's from there and that they have cap space. Look, they've had cap space think- as long as they've been a franchise. They don't spend to the cap. <laughs> They're going <laughs> to have cap space in like 2035, too. Well, they'll be in Houston by then. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, the reality of this is I think that a lot of this stuff is fun to speculate about if you're in a particular position and you'll get headlines or you'll get clicks or something like that. Yeah, I mean, like it worked. That. It worked. And, you know, here we are and we're talking about it. But that's what we do on this podcast, so screw it. The thing is, you it's very, very hard to run a business cavalierly throwing away $16 million a year. I'm just saying, like... If like the whole premise of the thing was the goal is not to acquire the player it's just to screw with the Toronto Maple yeah. Leafs. Well, one, I don't know that if I'm with another franchise, I'm especially invested in screwing with the Toronto Maple Leafs unless they're in my division. Otherwise, I'm thinking, well, why should I care if they're a good team or if some other team? It would be like saying, team, I don't you know, know um, who's a, a team in the East that has a lot of cap- Carolina should offer sheet uh, Miko Rantanen. Thirteen million dollars to screw with the Avalanche. Just to screw with them, so they don't keep their. Court. No. It's like, why, why does Carolina care? Yeah, I, I mean, like they have bigger things to worry about. If you somehow get to the uh, the Stanley Cup Finals and you're facing them, well, cross that bridge when you come to it. You know, it's sort of it's sort of a crazy way to to look at these things. But okay, even if you do that, you're kind of rolling dice. With the whole future of your team, as you've said, like you're setting yourself up to be capped out. Um, you have to put the money into the into the pot, so to speak. Like you can't sign an offer sheet just to screw with somebody and then say, "Oh, 
Just kidding. Yeah, like what if the Leafs call your bluff because at that point? Which I'm pretty yeah, sure they the would. Can say, there is a money value at which they would do that. Um, and, and, you know, if you're making Austin Matthews the highest paid player in the NHL by $3 million or more a year, then, you know, maybe you reach that point. There's an under-discussed side thing about this, which is uh, signing bonuses. Yeah. And this is a reflection of being cash-rich, as the Leafs are, uh, which is that they can pay out a huge amount of money every July 1st, and we've talked about this before, but with a time value of money, which is money today is worth more than money tomorrow, um, it's beneficial to get that in a big check. It also gives you some protection in the lockout And also against escrow, does it not? Uh, I won't pronounce too far on the uh, the escrow. Not, thing, yeah. Okay. I, so let's scrap that. Like, yeah. We don't we don't know, but um, for sure yeah, lockout. But I, yeah, because the lockout would occur if it was if it's going to happen, uh, starting in September. So it'll st- it'll stop the start of the season, and you won't get your salary. But if you've gotten a huge amount of money on a signing bonus on July first before the lockout was declared, you've got some money to while away your time with while you're waiting for the lockout to resolve. So all of these things mean that even in a cap world, Toronto's financial position gives them a lot of uh, ability to insulate themselves against offer sheets. Again, I think this was just idle speculation on the radio just because they have to say something or do something, and that's the, how mm-hmm. it is. But uh, when Kyle Dubas said, um, we're not worried about offer sheets, I think he was being 100% sincere. He said, I, I spent don't think that 0% has... of my time worrying about that. Yeah, and you know... I mean, the other thing is that offer sheets don't really repo- provoke retaliation uh, all that often. But in the event that something like this happened, like something that we've never seen before, uh, do you want to really just screw with the richest team in the NHL and see what they do? <laughs> you know, like I would be interested to see if... Uh, if Kyle Dubas decided to indulge in a bit of vengeance there, because I'm sure, given the resources he had, he could be kind of creative. There, there's probably a line item in the Maple Leafs budget for petty revenge. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is, when you <laughs> when you pay Matthews, or if you offer sheet someone a huge amount of money, and, and they accept it, you're also providing another comparable for your own strong RFAs, mm-hmm. right? So, And you're inflating the market. Yeah. There's, there's one... Uh, gentleman that I speak with on, on Twitter on sometimes named totally offside. And his position is off, uh, offer sheets never make sense ever because they always inflate the RFA market and it's never desirable. I'm a little more uh, restrained than them. I can think of situations where yeah, it I wouldn't be so sense. absolute, but I think I agree with the general idea. Yeah, but he, he has a very good point there, which is that they inflate the market. By definition, and they have so, to, otherwise it's yeah. a useless offer sheet. Yeah. And so... All of that said, there are just a lot of reasons why this should not be a huge concern for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Putting aside that, I'm very hopeful that at least one of these deals will be done before July 1st. That certainly seems to be so, Dubas's plan. I, I mean, I, I imagine the yeah. Matthews one, as you said, is going to be easier to, to deal with. And I think mm-hmm. I think Marner, want, Marner and his camp probably want that to happen because then they can use Matthews as a comparable. Right? And the, yeah. their numbers, guess, especially yeah, this year, them. are yeah. not that far apart. Actually, Marner mm-hmm. probably has more points, and even if you rate it out on a per-game or per-minute basis. I think he has slightly more. There's a difference between goals and assists. But, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think that's in their best interest. But what they probably yeah. also want to do is like, sign after Matthews, but before like, Rantanen, Point, Line A, whoever, Connor, whoever. Yeah. 
um, which makes a lot of sense. So now, granted, I was optimistic about the Neilander thing, and that took a while. Right. <laughs> but I so I will be conscious that I'm setting myself up here a bit. But I am not, by and large, super afraid of those negotiations. I think there are going to be there's going to be some sticker shock. I think there are going to be some big numbers up there. But I think that that's a product of us having two really, really fantastic young players. And as we've said, worse things to have. Yep, absolutely. So basically, according to this podcast, everything is fine. The Leafs are cool. Um, <laughs> there is nothing to worry about. <laughs> we're good. Yeah, we're the Prozac cast. You know, we'll just, you know, make everything feel groovy. Yeah. So it's good. Um, all right. Was there anything else you wanted to mention or any uh, pieces you wanted to tease that are upcoming? Uh not anything that I've written. I did, as we mentioned, guest on the Leafs Geeks podcast this week. Um, so this is double the podcasting for the seven. The second period. best podcast, if... least related, <laughs> least related stats based podcast in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they're very, very good. Even if you know I'm biased in our yeah. favor, but uh, no, Ian's yeah, a great guy. For and sure, great check that out. On, I, so. I listened to it. It was it was a lot of fun to listen to. Yeah, so uh, if you want to hear even more of me, which, you know, I would be surprised. But, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a podcast o over there on Leafs Geeks where you can hear more of my stuff. Awesome. And, yeah, you can catch all of mine Fuleman's writing at pensionplanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and at AT Fuleman. Uh, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.